elsewhere. So, let's take our Bibles, please. And we'll turn once again um, to the Psalms this time. Psalm 63. Psalm 63. It's entitled, A Psalm of David When He Was in the Wilderness of Judah. So we've been looking at David in his life, and uh, he's in the midst of the wilderness. He's running from cave to cave, uh, getting deeper and deeper into the Judean wilderness. And uh, when last we saw him last week, he was at the fortress uh, and caves there in En Gedi on the that are in the cliffs there on the shores of the Dead Sea. And so this psalm, as he is in the wilderness, you can picture him, perhaps in your mind's eye, finding a time to uh, step aside from the group of his men and their families, finds a quiet spot, and meditates upon the Lord in, in the midst of this what can you say, journey through the Judean wilderness that is forced upon him by a malicious and jealous king who does not want to let go of his reign. And in that time of danger, in that time of fearfulness and uncertainty, David says these words. Standing with me, please, if you're able for the reading of God's holy word. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. God adds his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Please be seated. So if uh, there was anyone who ever knew what it was to seek diligently for a safe place to go, that would be David, wouldn't it? But there was no safe place in Judah. Sooner or later, every time, he was discovered and the flight began again. But David knew that physical security was not the issue and that this psalm really brings this out. He knew that life really was about one's walk with God and in the presence of God. He knew that his safety was 
not in the, the strength of arms or the size of his army or even I think he's, he has uh, been learning uh, through the, his prior experiences that his own planning, his, his scheming, his uh, brilliant ideas really were not what was going to save him. It was going to be the Lord himself. So when you think of the context of David fleeing from place to place, knowing no uncertain, uh, knowing no certainty, but only uh, fear and wondering when the next ambush was going to take place, when the next betrayal was going to take place, wondering which, which rock was going to be stuck in the middle of his back tonight uh, as opposed to the one last night. No comfort, no safety, and all of that. To write these words is a pretty remarkable thing. And it indicates something of where his mind and heart was, and it provides a great example of where our hearts should be. The image, uh, imagery of hiding beneath the wings of the Lord's loving power is a frequent one with David. We just read about it, uh, another example of it, even a, a fuller uh, development of that image in Psalm 57 in our responsive reading. But here it is in verse 7 of Psalm 63. In the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. David knew that Yahweh was present with him. And Yahweh is present with you. Yahweh covers you no matter how hard life gets around you. When nothing else seems safe in this life, remember, there is safety in the presence of God. And this psalm just oozes God's presence uh, throughout it. So we're going to look at that as we go on through. First of all, number uh, the first the first evidence of this is found in verse one. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Whereas I was just reading uh, this morning of Abraham and Lot, and they're preparing to part company, and. Lot looks over on the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah there, which is heading down towards the Dead Sea, and it's described as a like the Garden of the Lord down there. Anybody seen any pictures of the Dead Sea and that valley these days? Uh, apart from the artificial irrigation that has been done down there, um, it's a dry, thirsty desert. And it was during David's time. Uh, he's looking out, perhaps sitting there in En Gedi, or perhaps somewhere in between en route, and looking out from his cave, and not seeing a lot of uh, not seeing a lot of green, not seeing a lot of of uh, oases and pools of water and lush vegetation. It's a desert. But he knows that God is present with him in that desert. Now we live in a pretty green place. It's nice to see uh, the, the vegetation and all of that and the, the full rivers and all the lakes and all of those things. 
But I think there are different kinds of deserts, are there not? And probably the worst kind are the deserts of the soul, where we can feel cut off because of either our sin or the sins of others, just our weakness, our frailty, uh, the struggles of living in a fallen world that is working in opposition to the things of God. And it, it can feel like we're cut off and can't ever get a break and all of that kind of stuff that, that can discourage us and cause us to just want to give up. Certainly David must have felt like he just wanted to give up at times. Years ago, when I was younger, Bob Blackhall, who's a member of our church, and I took a spring break camping trip. We were home from college. We thought this would be a great thing. His property, his family's property, was right up at the foot of some mountains, and we thought, you know, we're going to go up and spend a couple days, maybe three, and just hang out up in the woods and have a great time. This is going to be awesome. Um, it wasn't. It was almost every minute of that trip. I still vividly remember. Oh, it was not fun. Um, we were young and should have known better, but uh, we were trying to get up to the top of the mountain, so we, we took a ridge to get up there. And that was great. That was fine. It was a little bit easier than trying to go up through the thickets down where the water was running. And we thought that it was great. It was a great idea until we decided to set up camp and realized that we were a very long way from water and we didn't actually know where it was. And that was a long night. Because the Lord provided water. He did provide water that night. Uh, this is spring break, Southern Oregon. We were expecting nice weather. The Lord provided water in the water in the form of snow, about four inches of it overnight. We woke up with our cover sheet on our faces and our boots wet. And oh yeah, it got worse from there. Just it was terrible. But there were times when I when I read things like this of being in the wilderness and away from comfort, away from nourishment, away from water, away from the things that you need just to keep going. Um, it is from that day that I mark my hatred of granola bars <laughs> because granola bars, oh, and pemmican, that's even worse. With no water, it was just, oh, it was awful. Just miserable. And David must have been really miserable at times. But he knew that God was present with him. And I'm sure that he, much more than us in our little ex escapade up into the mountains, poured out his heart before the Lord, asking for the Lord's provision and feeling confident, as you see here, that as he earnestly seeks out the Lord, as his soul is thirsty for the Lord, as his his flesh faints for the Lord. Notice that it's for the Lord. He knows that it's only going to be in God that he actually has deliverance and safety and comfort. He's not crying out for food, water, and shelter. 
He's crying out for the Lord Himself. In Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 35, we read these, these words. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, and with the recompense of God, He will come and save you. In the midst of the wilderness, when all looks hopeless, your God is present with you, and will deliver you. And then David goes on, and this is a little bit of a, there's a bit of a, a, a bit of a nostalgic kind of note here in verses 2 and 3. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. When was the last time David had been in the sanctuary? Do you remember, those of you who were here? When we talked about this, the last time he was there was in the city of Nob, which is where it was set up. He was hungry. His men were hungry. He went in there famished and unarmed and sought and was given from Ahimelech the priest, the high priest, bread, and he obtained there the sword of Goliath. I think that David is probably thinking back to that time and perhaps to a time even before then when he wasn't fleeing but just was able to go freely um, uh, to worship the Lord in a, in a place where the Lord dwelt. And that comforted him. Because he, knew, he saw that as an evidence, of a, a, a physical evidence of a place where God was present And for you and I, we need to have that same kind of understanding that we will find God where He has declared He will be, which is among His people. It's not a solo effort. Now, David was surrounded by his men and, and their families. But most of all, he longed for God's presence, and that the kind of presence that, that filled him with joy, presence that demonstrated through uh, his works among his people the power of God and God's holiness and his glory his covenant faithfulness which David clings to even as he's being pursued across the desert by Saul in the first book of Kings chapter 9 Yahweh says to Solomon, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now, of course, this is after the tabernacle. This is after the time of David's penning of this particular psalm. But nonetheless, um, it, the tabernacle had also been a place and was, was also a place where God's presence was known and visibly evident. It's where his name was. 
Now this is not the tabernacle and this is not a temple. This is just four walls and a roof that keeps us relatively warmer than it is outside. But this is a place where when God's people gather together, the Lord is present. Jesus would say in Matthew 18, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. When you're wandering in times of wilderness and trial, that is not the time to uh, go, go home and lick your wounds. It's a time to be in the presence of God amongst His people. And there you will be reminded that God is active. He has not forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten His people. And as you listen to His Word and are encouraged by the Holy Spirit, as you are exhorted in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as you are encouraged by the testimony of others who declare to you what God has done for them, you will be reminded that God is present in the sanctuary, just as David was here. That loving kindness of, of God, that, mercy, that steadfast love, that covenant loyalty is best seen in the body of Christ, gathered by Him, nurtured by Him, and encouraged by Him. And then, God is present in another time. And this is verses 6 and 7. When he says, I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. On that night on the, on the mountain. Oh, oh. Daylight was discouraging. Nighttime was awful. It was really awful. The snow woke us up from somewhere around midnight. Um, and we had that long, it was the longest six or seven hours to daybreak that I've ever experienced, I think. It was just so miserable. Uh, we couldn't get a fire started. Everything was wet. Everything, all, all the wood had been, I don't know where all the, where all the dead branches were. I think they were down by the water, wherever that was. We couldn't find anything. Uh, it just took, we used every fire starter we had and could, we couldn't get warm, we couldn't get dry, couldn't see. Uh, it was just miserable. And so we did some praying and asking the Lord for, uh, for encouragement at that time. And again, it was a silly little hike. It didn't mean anything really. David's burden was life and death. I mean, for Bob and I, we knew that, sure, push comes to shove, all we got to do is turn around and walk downhill, follow the ridge, and we'll be right back at his house in a few hours. For David, what he saw ahead of him, he didn't see the end of it. As long as Saul was alive, Saul was out to get him. And even though he acknowledges, I think it's really great in verse 11. David has not been crowned yet. But what does he say? He says, but the king will rejoice in God. He's speaking of himself. He understands that the Lord has a place for him, has a task for him, has a commission for him. 
and that the Lord will not abandon him. Even in the darkest times, even when you cannot see the road ahead, when you cannot see how you're going to get out of this predicament, God is there. When you are at the end of your physical and emotional and spiritual resources, God is there. He is present in the night. David would write in Psalm 6, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. Yahweh has heard my supplication. Yahweh will receive my prayer. And he would write in Psalm 30, weeping it may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And the reason that it comes in the morning is not because we just, you know, buck up our energy and our courage and, you know, power through so that we can be happy again as a, a result of our own endurance and stick to and all of that stuff. The reason joy comes is because with the light of day, we come to realize that God has been there all along and He will take us home. So God is present in the wilderness. He's present in the sanctuary. He's present in the darkness of the night that discourages us and makes our hearts fail. But David's also in the midst of a fight, even though he's trying to avoid actual warfare, actual combat with Saul. He's managed to avoid that so far. But nonetheless, he's still in a fight, a fight for his life and for those of his people. And we read about this in verses 9 through 11, that there are, there are those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. Now, the, those who are fighting against him will be defeated. But not by David. Let me say that again. They will be defeated, but not by David. Now, David would do a lot of fighting against the enemies of God's people, the Philistines. Very successful. But when it came to fighting against Saul, you know and I know that he refused to do it. He refused to take any action against Saul. Because Saul, he knew, was also the Lord's anointed, and he was not going to lift up his hand against the Lord's anointed. So he was utterly dependent upon the Lord to take vengeance, the Lord to do what David would like to do in his flesh, but knew it was not his place to do. When you are in conflict, when you are struggling against someone, It's the Lord's business to deal with those who wrong you. It's awfully hard to leave it there, though, isn't it? Sometimes you just want to take matters into your own hands. But the Lord is the one who is with us in the fight, and David knew that. He knew that the Lord would stop the mouth of liars, that the Lord would, would judge those who were pursuing Him. And the Lord will take care of you, no matter 
uh, how great your enemy may seem. And this is not just the enemies of flesh and blood, but spiritual, uh, the spiritual battles that we go through. Temptation. Wrestling with our own sins. The Lord deals with those too. As we rest in Him. Again, to quote the prophet Isaiah, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. David would say in Psalm 91, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Why? Because you're a great warrior? No, because God is present with you. Because God is fighting for you. So God is present with you. He's present with you in the midst of a dry, thirsty wilderness. The wilderness of your soul, the wilderness of loneliness, the wilderness of affliction and oppression. God is present with you in His sanctuary, among His people, where He has revealed His name. God's present with you in the midst of the darkness of night, in the deepest of discouragements, in the most hopeless of situations. He is there. And when you are in the midst of the fight for your soul, for your life, your God is there. And as you meditate upon that, just as David did, you will come to find out that rather than being in the midst of the, all of these things that are so difficult, you find yourself uh, hopeless and despondent and despairing and unable really to praise. What is David doing? He's praising his God. As he reflects on the fact that God is present there, he can cry out to the Lord and do so in, in, in marvelous ways, as he's revealed here, as as is revealed here in this psalm, you can cry. Your heart can cry out in God's presence, just like David did. Verse one, it can cry out earnestly, not half-heartedly, because you know you're going to be heard. You know He's present with you. We take the words of our Savior, "I will never leave you, nor forsake you," seriously. And so we may earnestly cry out to Him in the wilderness of our souls. And in His presence you can cry out longingly as well. There in verse 2, My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. This is the idea of thirsting and longing for the Lord. And why do we thirst and long for the Lord. It's because we know that He can satisfy us. I tell you, when Bob and I were on that mountain, and we were pretty thirsty, because the little canteens we'd taken of water out of the tap disappeared really fast.
We were thirsty for water. We weren't thirsty for milkshakes. We weren't thirsty for some salty thing. We wanted water because we knew that water would actually satisfy us. That's what we were thinking about. That's what we were preoccupied with. When you're in the presence of God, why would you thirst for anything else that can't satisfy? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Long for Him, and in His presence you will be satisfied. And notice, it's through, sprinkled throughout here, verses 3 through 5, verse 8, verse 11. David's heart is crying out in joy. Joy! It says in verse 3, My lips will praise you. I will bless you. I will lift up my hands in praise. My soul is satisfied, so my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Verse 11, The king shall rejoice in God. Remember again the affliction that he was under. And this is the predominant theme of his reaction, is his joy in God's presence. And you can have that joy too, as you're depending upon him. Verse 5 says that when you're in God's presence, you're going to be content. You'll cry out to him in contentment. My soul will be satisfied. Satisfied as with fat and rich food. Thanksgiving's coming up. Is everyone prepared for their beached whale imitation? Because that's basically what he's saying here. I am so full. Wow. I am satisfied. And your God does not leave you starving. He doesn't leave you in hunger and want. So you and I can rejoice crying out in His presence, knowing that we can be content in Him because He provides all. And as we are in His presence and meditating upon these things, we will have that same attitude that David had there in verse 6. Remembering you upon my bed and meditating on you in the watches of the night. To cry out to Him in a meditative fashion. You know, the worship of God's saints should not be... Uh, Karen and I were just reading a, a, an article by Sproul, and he was describing um, a certain type of church as a happy, clappy church. And sometimes we get the idea in our culture that, that that's, a, that's a mark of a really great church if everybody's just all happy and giddy and, and all of that. Let's not think too much about theology because after all, you know, that puts up walls. We don't want to think too much about sin because that's such a downer. And the whole repentance thing, well, you know, that's, we don't need to do that because we're under grace now. Uh, you know, we don't want any of that. We just want to love Jesus. We just want to be happy. It doesn't fit at all what's going on here. David's worship is thoughtful. It's meditative. Because when you're in the presence of God, there's, 
may I say, an infinite number of things that you can think about concerning Him. Your worship and mine must be reasoned and reasonable in accord with who He is. And He reveals Himself to us in His Word by His Son through the Spirit so that we really have something to thank Him for. It doesn't mean we can't be happy. But not just a, a, a surface thing, but really built upon recognizing that we're in the presence of a holy God. Wow. Let's rejoice. Let's praise Him as we meditate upon who He is. And the more that we do that, verses 7 and 8 come into play. You've been my help. In the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Because your right hand upholds me. David, in the, in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of this difficulty, is absolutely full of trust. His heart cries out, not in despair, but in trust and confidence. David and Paul, no doubt, have had chance, a chance to compare notes as they're with the Lord now. I was thinking of the Apostle Paul's words to Second Timothy, to, to Timothy in his second letter. For this reason, Paul said, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him. And that would be his soul, his life. I know that He is able to keep what I have committed to Him until that day. In God's presence, no matter the darkness, no matter the wilderness, no matter the oppression, no matter the enemies, no matter the struggles, you and I can cry out in trust and confidence because He's with us. Because He's present. Um, I'm going to do something. I debated on it all week. I'm going to go ahead and do it. I don't think I've ever done this in the almost 13 years since I've been here. Um, but I'm going to sing a song for you. This is a setting of Psalm 63. I uh, wrote this song back in 98 when Karen had cancer. Um, I want you not to be looking at me and thinking about me doing this. I want you to, in your mind's eye, be thinking about David as he's there in the wilderness and pursued, weary, tired, thirsty, composing a song, singing quietly off in a corner perhaps, or maybe singing it for his men. Uh, this is just a setting of, of this psalm. And let's, again, as we think about the mind of David, one who is after God's own heart, let us make this prayer of Psalm 63 our, our own. Oh, mighty Lord, you are my God. Before the dawn I seek your face, 
My thirsty soul cries out for you. Weary I long to rest in your embrace. So I have searched for you in your blessed dwelling place, in the house your spirit fills, to know your matchless strength, your heavenly glory see in a dry, thirsty When I remember you, I meditate with awe, for you have been my help through all my days. Under your wings I hide, your hand is guarding me, I will rejoice forevermore. Your faithful love, better than life, loosens my lips to sing your praise. And while I live, lifting my hands, I will exalt and bless your wondrous name. When I cried out to you, my hungry soul you filled, satisfied my heart with every good thing. So now with joyful shouts, my mouth declares your praise, for your mercy is sure. When I remember you, I meditate with awe, for you have been my help through all my days. Under your wings I hide, your hand is guarding me. I will rejoice forevermore. Even if you wanted to, you cannot escape God's presence. His wingspan is so great that you can never find the limits of his loving care. David would say in Psalm 139, If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. So find peace and safety in God's protecting, guiding, and upholding presence. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your loving care for us. 
that you keep us safe and secure under your wings. Lord, let us never despair, no matter how dark and desperate our circumstances may seem. For when we are your children, hiding in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are safe. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name.